was a still summer evening in La Cañada, a small upper-class bedroom community northeast of Los Angeles in August of 1935. James and Viola Pemberton had driven with their friend Robert S. James to his lovely new home on Verdugo Road for dinner. They were expecting his 25-year-old wife, a tall strawberry blonde named Mary, to meet them at the door. But she was nowhere to be found, and the house was dark and silent. The three began to search for Mary. James Pemberton went into the backyard and shone his flashlight on a fish pond, screened off by dense shrubbery. I had the flashlight pointing to the other side of the pond. I nearly stumbled on the body before I saw it, he later recalled. I looked down and it was right at my feet. Then I turned my light upon it and saw Mrs. James lying with her face in the water. Her yellow hair was floating. On the deceased woman's big left toe was a strange discolored puncture wound, purple, black, and blue. I'm Hadley Mears, and this is Underbelly LA. Robert and Mary had been married for three months. She had met the 38-year-old barber when he hired her to work as a manicurist at his barber shop at 9th and Olive in bustling, brash downtown L.A. Robert was a strange kind of ladies' man, but a ladies' man nonetheless. Originally from Alabama, he had been born Major Raymond Lysensbaugh to a poor, abusive sharecropper. He was described as pasty, with a shock of slicked-back red hair red-rimmed green eyes, and a high nasal voice. He was not the brightest either. One childhood neighbor called him less than a half-wit. His sister would claim that she had thought he was crazy for a long time. But Robert seems to have had that certain kind of snake-like cleverness and charm, and he had already somehow been married at least five times by the time he met Mary. 26-year-old Mary had no idea who her new husband was. Robert James was a seasoned, if bumbling, con man and suspected murderer who had no intention of settling down to a happy domestic life in the warm California sunshine. He had become enamored with running insurance scams years before, when his mother had died leaving him a small policy. His new wife was simply another mark. Soon after they met, Robert convinced Mary to take out a $10,000 life insurance policy on herself. He then enlisted the help of one of his barbershop customers, a financially strapped ex-sailor and fry cook named Charles Hope. James came to me early in June last year and said he had a friend who wanted to kill his wife and that it would be worth $100 to me to get a couple of rattlesnakes. Charles Hope later testified, I said all right. It was none of my business what he wanted the snakes for. But according to Robert James, it was a much more collaborative project in murder, with Charles Hope taking the lead. First, 
Charles Hope suggested they kill Mary with Black Widow spiders, because all you have to do is throw them in bed with her. (laughs) Then, according to the Los Angeles Times, they discussed burning down the house about the unfortunate woman, poisoning her through a scratched skin with a chemical, and shooting her in a fake holdup, all as alternative murder methods. Charles Hope even bought some Black Widow spiders and released them into the James home. But although Mary James complained in a letter about a badly swollen leg from a bite she received in her garden, spiders didn't kill her. Finally, they settled on murder by rattlesnake and set off to find the perfect killers. The pair bought three rattlesnakes from Mike Allman at the Reptile Gardens on Ocean Park Pier in Santa Monica, but Robert James decided they were no good. Charles then went to visit the legendary Joseph C. Houghtonbrink, known as Snake Joe, at his snake farm in Pasadena. (laughs) I got a big bet that a rattlesnake will strike and eat a rabbit, and I want the meanest thing you've got to make sure I win, Charles Hope told Snake Joe. Snake Joe sold him two six-year-old desert diamondback rattlesnakes named Lethal and Lightning, but he felt uneasy about the sale and later discussed it with his fellow reptile seller, Mike Allman. Mike Allman came to my place, Snake Joe recalled, and in the course of our conversation, he asked me if the man who wanted some hot rattlesnakes had been to see me. I told him he had, and we talked it over and the whole thing seemed suspicious. The two-season snakemen had reason to be wary. On August 4th, Charles and Robert set their bizarre plan into motion. Though their testimony was self-serving and filled with lies, we have a general outline of what occurred. Robert James convinced his wife Mary, who he claimed was pregnant, to get an abortion. He said that he had found a doctor to perform the operation in the breakfast nook of their La Cunada home but that Mary's eyes would have to be covered to protect the doctor's identity since abortion was illegal. He then plied her with whiskey and bromides and placed an unconscious Mary, who was wearing soft peak pajamas, on a table in the breakfast nook. Charles Hope then walked into the hellish scene, which the Los Angeles Times described thusly. He saw Mrs. James tied with a cotton rope to the top of a table, her mouth and eyes covered with adhesive tape. The woman gave only a little groan before Robert thrust her left leg into the box occupied by two vicious rattlesnakes. Lethal and lightning bit Mary three times, but though she writhed in agony, the venom didn't instantly kill her. A panicked Charles Hope left the breakfast nook and went to the garage. For hours, Charles sat nervously in a car in the garage, while Robert James frequently came out to supply updates and give the jittery man whiskey. Finally, Robert came out and sat next to Charles in his car. Well, that's it, he said. Tired of waiting for Mary to die, Robert had drowned his newly married wife in the bathtub. I walked in and saw this girl lying on the floor just outside the bathroom door with her pajamas on and slippers. Charles Hope remembered, according to the LA Times. The two then decided to stage the scene 
and take Mary's dead body outside into the backyard. I carried her feet, Charles said. He carried her head. I laid her along the fish pond. In the days after the murder, Charles Hope stayed away from Robert's barbershop, either out of guilt or out of fear. According to Lois Wright, Robert's manicurist niece, who you'll hear more about, Charles reappeared several weeks later, but he didn't let my uncle shave him, she said. He went to another chair. Mary's death was ruled an accidental drowning. For his part, Robert quickly dispensed with any semblance of a grieving widower. Robert James confidently tried to redeem the insurance policy Mary Bush had signed, historian Cecilia Rasmussen wrote in a 1995 LA Times article. But when an insurance investigator stumbled upon the fact that the barber had been married five times and that James's third wife had also died by drowning, he tipped off the police. Unbeknownst to Robert, police quietly began to investigate him. Charles Hope came forward, pinning the whole crime on the red-headed barber. Police bugged Robert's house and indeed uncovered a crime, though not the one they were investigating. Robert and his pretty manicurist niece, Lois, were lovers, and the police had proof of it on tape. Robert James was arrested for incest and taken to a safe house to be interrogated. There, he cracked and confessed to his wife's murder. Well, sort of. He claimed Charles alone had actually planned the murder. When Lois, who was taken into protective custody, was told of her uncle's alleged plot, she exclaimed, My God, I know nothing of this. Oh, it's too horrible to think about. I guess I'm a lucky girl. She certainly was. Robert had recently asked Lois to take out a policy on herself. The police quickly found that Robert was already casing for his next victim. At the new La Cunada home he had shared with Mary, they found multiple pamphlets from marriage bureaus, which set people up with potential mates. The LA Times reported, Among the romantic literature gathered in the James home was a booklet entitled How to Write Love Letters. The investigators declared it showed evidence of being well-thumbed. Another prize exhibit officers found in an envelope was a list of nearly 200 special feminine matrimonial prospects. Heavily underscored in the list was the name of a New York widow, 53 years of age, who advertised that she had an income of $10,000 annually. As far as the past was concerned, it seems that murder was not new to Robert James. There was the suspicious death of a nephew who had died in a car crash a few years earlier, after Robert had taken out a life insurance policy on him. And Robert's third wife, a pretty blonde named Winona Wallace, had accidentally drowned in a bathtub in Colorado in 1932. This was just months after surviving a car accident, which many believe that Robert had caused. It was soon after he had cashed out Winona's life insurance policy that he moved to California, with niece Lois in tow, to start a new life. 
Robert James and Charles Hope, handcuffed together, were arraigned on May 6, 1937, and charged with first-degree murder. Now enemies, the two had to be separated when Robert threatened Charles, If you plead guilty, I'll break your neck. As the blundering murderers squabbled, in the DA's office, the prosecutors were testing the venom of lethal and lightning. Charles had returned them to Snake Joe after the murder, saying they were unsatisfactory. The LA Times reported, A weird and terrifying test was going on at the same time in a room in the district attorney's office. There, a little group of men huddled over a box. The mean hiss of angry rattlesnakes rose above their talks occasionally. Snake Joe Houghtonbrink bent over the box. With a looped wire, he caught a snake and deftly pushed its head at a jar. The angry snake struck, and its fangs pierced a rubber membrane stretched across the mouth. A bit of liquid fell into the bottom of the jar. The venomous liquid in the jar was then sent to a doctor for analysis. His conclusions are unknown. On June 2, 1937, Robert James was sentenced to 150 years on the three morals charges including incest involving Lois. He hardly seemed to care, according to folks who witnessed him in the cell at the city jail. He acts as unconcerned as a man sitting in his living room at home, the LA Times reported. He reads, eats, and sleeps unconcernedly. He shows no strain, no particular emotion. He's a smart man. Smart enough to keep from talking too much. But on June 19, 1936, Robert's fate was sealed when Charles Hope pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in exchange for not receiving the death penalty. His testimony, along with the discovery of a black widow spider's nest at the La Cañada house, and of fragments of Mary's pink pajamas in a downtown incinerator where he said they'd be, sealed Robert's fate. This didn't stop the trial, which started on June 22, 1936, from being a media circus. Columnist Walter Winchell showed up, as did the actor Peter Lorre, famed for playing a terrifying serial killer in the movie M. Robert James pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. On the 25th, his former partner in crime testified against him in a low, mumbling voice. Charles grimaced with annoyance when asked to repeat indistinguishable fragments of testimony, one reporter said. According to the Los Angeles Times, his indifference must have hidden an internal storm. Only a few minutes before being called to the stand, he suddenly became ill and had to be removed from the courtroom to recover. James himself turned the color of clay at the same time that Deputy Sheriff Tuhi testified to what he found when he reached the fish pond death house in La Cañada. Robert James himself took the stand on July 15th, claiming his confession had been coerced. That same day, he and Charles were at it again when lawyers made the odd choice of having the two men reenact the murder scene. James climbed on the heavy mahogany attorney's table. He lay on his back, as Mary James is supposed to have been lying. Charles Hope was led alongside. In the little play, he was supposed to seize James's foot and jam it into the replica of the original snake box. The men got into a squabble and began to brawl, while Lightning and Lethal, who had been brought in as evidence, hummed their signal of death. 
according to a report in the LA Times. Lethal, one of the rattlesnakes, escaped in the courtroom during the noon recess after James had spent most of the morning on the witness stand in his own defense. Like a streak of brown quicksilver, the reptile slid under a bookcase, his vicious rattling through the courtroom into hysteria. Luckily, Snake Joe and another rattlesnake man came to the rescue and captured Lethal before he bit anyone. On July 25th, Robert James was convicted of the first-degree murder of his wife Mary and sentenced to death by hanging. When he learned his fate, his eyes barely shifted, and he simply said, I can take it. Robert James spent his final years in prison appealing his conviction, gaining an enormous amount of weight, and finding Jesus with the aid of an enamored religious worker named Helen Atkinson. When his last appeal was denied, Robert James simply said, let's just say that rattlesnake Bob James is not afraid to die. On May 2, 1942, he became the last man to hang in the state of California before the method was outlawed. The Los Angeles Times reported on the grim scene. Robert James mounted the 13 steps to the hangman's noose and death on the San Quentin gallows today. He was calm to the end. He was dressed in a black suit and a white collarless shirt. His red hair was neatly combed. His face was very white. There was a strange look of triumph in his sharp eyes as he glanced down at the 98 reporters, officials, and guards who stood in the high-ceilinged, raftered death house. His appearance, almost boyish, gave the impression he had been interrupted by his executioners while dressing for a dance. A genuine lady killer to the last. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Underbelly LA. This episode is based on an article I wrote that originally appeared in Los Angeles Magazine. Check it out. I'm Hadley Mears, and you can follow me on Twitter at H-A-D-L-E-Y-M-E-A-R-E-S. You can follow Underbelly LA at Underbelly LA. We're also on Facebook. Just search Underbelly LA. Listen to all future episodes of this podcast by going to underbellyla.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you'd normally find a podcast. Every episode of this show is researched, written, and read by me, Hadley Mears. The show is produced by Drew Mackey and edited by Mika Grimm. Underbelly LA is a Table Cakes podcast. Table Cakes is a Los Angeles-based, woman-owned podcast company. And if you want to learn about other shows on this network, go to tablecakes.com. If you want to support Underbelly LA, check out our digital tip jar at patreon.com slash underbellyla. Join us next week when we delve into more murder, mayhem, shade, and sunshine in the city of angels.
a Table Cakes production. <laughs>